When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Netflix streams TV shows and movies directly to your home, saving you time, money, and hassle. As a Netflix member, you can instantly watch TV episodes and movies streaming directly to your PC, Mac, or write to your TV with your Xbox 360, PS3, or Nintendo Wii console, plus Apple devices, Kindle, and Nook. Get a free 30-day trial membership. Go to www.netflix.com carstuff and sign up now. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Ben Boland. And I'm Scott Benjamin. Ben, today, new topic. One that we've kind of hinted at in the uh, in the past, right? And yeah. just re- very recently, we talked about maybe diving in a little bit deeper into uh, an unusual vehicle that uh, comes from, what, the 1950s, right? Yeah, an unusually awesome vehicle. This is the Firebird. We're going to focus on the first Firebird, the XP-21, but we're also going to talk a little bit about its uh, younger brothers. Yeah, there's uh, there's a series of three vehicles here, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, our main focus, like you said, is going to be the first one, but uh, there's some interesting facts about the uh, the other two as well along the way. I want to, you know, I want to say that I bet most of our listeners have seen this vehicle whether they know it or not, right? Yeah, you might not recognize the name, but you've probably seen this. Uh, you looked at a photograph perhaps on the internet, or maybe you were lucky enough to see it in person. Oh, maybe. And then you said, hey... Is that a jet? What kind of what jabroni stuck wheels on that jet? And I think that's all we have to say is that this was a this is a car that GM built in the early 1950s mm-hmm. that looked like a jet with wheels. And I think everybody right away will say, "Oh yeah, I've seen that." And if you haven't, then maybe you've seen it this way uh, for our NASCAR fans. Um, it's the same exact vehicle that adorns the top of the Harley J. Earl trophy that's given to the winner of the Daytona 500 every year. Yes, and the reason behind oh. that is that, of course, our buddy Harley J. Earl is the mastermind. That's right. He was uh, head of design at that point, right? So he was uh, – and, and this is – it gets unusual for him because they seem to – 
not follow along the lines of what he thought of as as classic styling of what he uh, right the way he saw GM styling going. So um, these are really unusual. I mean, unusual in a lot of different ways, and uh, probably the most unusual way this uh, the way this this thing is unusual is the method of power, right? Yes, sir. The gas turbine engine. Now, in the 1930s, General Motors had already been doing some research on what they would call feasibility research. So okay. this is this is the research that focuses up more on can we do something than it focuses on should we do something. Yeah, so the ramp-up time to this was like, I mean, it's a good 15 years maybe yeah. uh, between when they started thinking about this mm-hmm. and when they actually did something because it wasn't until, what, 1954. I think they started building it in 53. Yeah, but it wasn't complete till 54. Okay, it wasn't complete until 54. Got it. Okay, that was the, uh, that was the Motorama version right the one that went out to the motorama shows right um but it, it was essentially this became and, and we've talked about you know in the last episode that we did we talked about a lot of different manufacturers that have tried gas turbine power oh cars, yeah right? we talked about chrysler we yeah. talked about gm um, fiat mm-hmm. volvo jaguar all those places yeah. you know they, they a lot of them uh you know have kind of toyed around with this idea and chrysler played around with it a lot um but general motors uh, they were the ones to, to first build uh, a gas turbine powered car that was, you know, the first one designed and manufactured here in the United States. Yes. And here's the thing a lot of people will look at it and they'll instantly say, well, this is a cool idea, but it's tremendously impractical. And I feel like that's, um, that's we're just going to say it's an accurate thing to say. I mean, it only seats one and doesn't break any, you know, land speed records. No, you know Absolutely. what? You know what, though? I, I do want to, I'm in GM's defense. Yes, if, defense. I, if I should do that. Yeah. Um, in, initially, they never even really anticipated that this would be a, uh, a road going vehicle, right? I ding, mean, ding, ding, ding. I mean, nail on the, the head. From the very beginning, they said, you know, this is going to be, and Ben, I found this in one of the, uh, one of the clips that I shared with you, I know. Mm-hmm. They called it a test tube car. Yes. How cool is that? Now we've talked about dream cars. We've talked uh-huh. about you know some of the uh, what were the other terms? Idea cars. I want to say was it cloud car or something like yeah, that. Yeah. They had some strange strange terms for concept vehicles. Uh-huh. And uh, this is the first time I've heard this one. A test tube car. Yeah, which I had is, to stop and replay it. It was purely research, right? Uh-huh. And that you know they said, well, we just want to see if we can do it. What can we What can we do to make this work? And so they never you know. They never had the idea that this is going to be a mass-produced vehicle. No, and it wasn't supposed to be. You know, I respect them for saying that in the beginning because then it sort of puts this all in the context of a feasibility exercise. Mm-hmm. So it's a more of a can we than should we or what do we do afterwards. Yep. The entire vehicle, though, had some uh, pretty cool stuff going on. You know, it weighed 2,500 pounds. That's pretty heavy. That's pretty but, heavy. But – it's a pretty big vehicle. I mean, if you yep. look at it, I mean, it looks like it looks like a true. It truly looks like a jet. Uh, it's very, very long, but it has really stubby wings. Yeah, and I it's guess. really low to the ground. Yeah, yeah, extremely low, but uh, it is heavy. I mean, I'm I'm sure, man, this, that just the, the propulsion unit alone has got to weigh a ton. Yeah, um, the uh, Whirlfire Turbo Power Turbine Engine, uh, 370 horsepower, two speeds. And it expelled jet exhaust. Whirlfire. I love yeah. the way they used to name things in the 1950s, right? There the, was so much more style the, to it. The Whirlfire engine. And if you open the back end of this thing, you can see the Whirlfire engine right behind the uh, canopy. And it's and huge. It's huge, and it's a great big red engine. It's very, it's it's really clean and and well done. It's not like it's you know sloppily put in there. Right. Um, it's very very well laid out. Very very 
thoughtfully put into this thing, mm-hmm. and uh, it's really, really, it's 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 beautiful, really. Um, but it, obviously, it's aircraft inspired. The entire vehicle, right? Yes. I mean, there's a there's a canopy design for the uh, for the the cockpit area. I'll call it a cockpit because that's what it is. That's fair. Um, but the interior design is exactly like an aircraft of the day. It had aircraft gauges. Mm-hmm. Um, it had a, it had kind of a blue interior, which you don't get from a lot of the black and white photos. Right. But if you check out the color photos, which are available, you can see that there's a there's a strikingly well designed cockpit. Yeah, very nice. It's actually really nice. And uh, you know, the canopy design is just such a cool thing. Anyways, I love the bubble yeah. top cars. You know, the even some of the like the micro cars of the day uh-huh. had the bubble design. I enjoy that. Um, now we mentioned the aircraft gauges, gauges rather, and uh, there's no steering wheel, but it did use um, a twin yoke style steering, which is mm-hmm. like the uh, the aircraft of the day again. And small aircraft still use that. Yes. Um, so again, aircraft theme. Um, and we mentioned the gas turbine that's in the rear, single seat. Mm-hmm. Um, just really, and I think a lot of people have mentioned this every time they see this car. They just mentioned the level of craftsmanship that was used to put this thing together because it was extremely well engineered, well put together. It's a very, very solid car. Right? And I, I think there's something, um, you know, this is just my speculation, Scott, but it seems as though there's something a bit freeing for the engineers when they're designing this and they know that it doesn't have to be held to the same standards or constraints that you have to hold a production vehicle to. Sure. Or yeah. even a concept vehicle now, that's in the running to become production. But instead of going the other way with it, they went a different direction in that yeah. they over-engineered this thing in that it's going to hold together no matter. It's it's held together like an aircraft, really. It's, you can still see it at car shows today. Yeah, you can. It still exists. And I'll, I'll tell you, let's let's wait till the end. Oh, yeah, sorry. We'll tell them where they can go see it. But, you know, oh, you know, I may end up giving it away at a point don't, in here. Don't, but we'll don't. see. We'll, let's we'll, let's try to keep it secret <laughs> we'll for, see, for but, a little bit. Yeah, you can still go see it. But um, the thing about this is now the, the gas turbine operation, we've, we've talked about this in previous podcasts, right? Right. Now, there's there's some downfalls to this, right? Yes. And those would be... Uh, well, do you want to do it? Well, cost is one, right? Cost I is mean, a it's huge an, one. It's an extremely expensive car to build. Um, what was the other one? Acceleration. A, acceleration is one. It does have... And you'll you'll see in the clips that it doesn't just rocket right off the line. It, it, right. It takes a while to slowly get up to speed. But once it is, it's a great cruising car. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there's there's footage of this thing in uh, in the 1950s. Uh, in Mesa, Arizona at the GM Proving Grounds. Right, yeah. And there's quite a few little, you know, GM promotional films that are put together that, uh, that shows, you know, somebody driving a test driver, right? Mm-hmm. And that might be Emmett Conklin. Yeah, could be. That's the, that's, uh, one of two people, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Emmett was a, uh, he was, who was he? He was a designer? He would, yeah, well, he was, yeah, he was a oh, design- supervisor. He was he a supervisor. supervising it, and he was, interestingly enough, originally, he was the only person who was qualified to drive it. And you'll run into that if you check on the, um, the story of the Firebird. You'll run into that several times. <laughs> yeah. He tested it up to 100 miles per hour, and that's in first gear. Remember, it's got two speeds. Oh, amazing. So uh, Conklin goes into second gear. The tires lose their traction. Really? Yeah, the engine torque is too much. Wow, that's a strong car. So he slows the vehicle down because he thinks, I, I'm, I'm not going to – this is not how Emmett Conklin goes out. Yeah, I <laughs> don't want it to end this way, right? Right, right. Yeah. He still has stuff to do. But they did put it in the hands of somebody who is uh, maybe a little bit more capable behind the wheel, right? Yes. And that would be Maury Rose. And Maury Rose, if any of you guys mm-hmm. are uh, historians of auto racing, you'll probably recognize that name. He was a, uh, a three-time Indianapolis 500 winner. And uh, I, I get conflicting information on this. 
was he with GM at the time or with Chevrolet at the time? Because they, they mentioned him as if he's part of, of Chevrolet or if he's mm-hmm. part of General Motors, like in the engineering group. Yeah. Um, now I know that he was a popular choice because he was a, you know, an Indy 500 winner and, you know, that's, uh, that was at the time he was a hero, you know, yeah. uh, three time winner. That's a big deal. Um, but, but I don't know if he was actually brought on the team or not. I, I'm kind of reading here and there that, you know, he may have been part of Chevrolet engineering as kind of a, a guest like engineer. Like a consultant almost? Like a guest engineer yeah. or something, you know, if you can call it that. But he was chosen mainly because he had extremely quick reactions. Yeah, yeah, uh, good being reflexes. A, being a, re, you know, a, uh, a recent race car driver or a current race car driver. And just, you know, his ability to handle a car with that kind of power. So, you know, when the when it started to slide sideways at 100 miles an hour, he knew how to correct that quickly, maybe just a little bit faster than uh, than Emmett could. Right. Um, not not to downplay Emmett's role in this at all, but you know mm-hmm. that's that's tough. That's scary. And the thing is that it the vehicle itself was never really intended to test the speed of the engine. No, it was more just to see what what they could do with it. So it has. Um, drums, drum brakes on the outside of the oh wheels. Oh my gosh! Here's a here's a car, Ben, <laughs> with a top speed of 200 miles an hour. Yeah, now I can go 200, okay? And you said first gear is 100 miles an hour. Yeah, they put drum brakes on all four corners. Now that was current technology, though, right? Right, but it also it also in the Firebird's defense, and perhaps in Harley J. Earl's defense, the wings had. Aircraft style flaps. <laughs> okay, I'm laughing because one of the clips shows him deploying these uh, these flaps, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Now these are air brakes, right? Yeah. And, uh, essentially. and basically, the back end of the wing splits open, and a flap folds up, a flap folds down, mm-hmm. and uh, there's one on each side. And I'm sure that you can use these, you know, individually as well for turning if you wanted to. Um, but man, I don't know how much more that I don't know how much that would really do to slow the vehicle. I just don't see it. Yeah, but. You know, of course, this is not just the story of the XP-21. I vote that we take a closer look at the Firebird 2. Yeah, because uh, the XP-21 was just a series, and the first one in the series, really. Yeah. And it wasn't called the Firebird 1 initially, obviously. No. I mean, that's why this one is the only one with the uh, the number designation, because right. after that, they just started counting. This one later became known as Firebird 1 after Firebird 2 was, was brought around, right? Mm-hmm. So Firebird 2... Now, Firebird 1 came around in 1954. That was when uh, the Motorama show was that, that it debuted. And that can go back as early as like 1951 when it was being developed and 53 when it was finished and yeah. 54 when it was, you know, finally released to the public. But, uh, but Firebird 2, that comes around in 1956. Yeah, that's, and it's publicly unveiled at the Motorama, which again, I would, I would love to check out in real life one day. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> but, uh, so this, this is a little bit different. In that it's a lot of bit different. It's got four seats. Wait, you get just one quick sidebar here. You never been to a Motorama show? I have yet. to Oh be. my gosh, they're still touring. They still have a. You can still go to Motorama now. They don't have the the glamour, I don't think, of the original Motorama shows because yeah. you know we watch these clips, right? Of yeah. The Firebird and you know the the old GM films, the promotional films. Oh my god, they were they were a true happening, you know, when it when it was going on. Now, not to downplay what what happens now, but like you'll go to one now and it'll like they'll have like the Dukes of Hazard car and and the the uh, the original Duke boys will be there. It's my and great shame that I have yet to go. A lot of uh, you know like car audio contests are going on and stance cars and things like that and uh you know just they're interesting shows, I'll tell you. So if you ever get a chance to go to a Motorama, you have to. I'm there. All right. I didn't mean to get a sidetrack, but you mentioned that this is different in how, and then it carried... I can't, it had a four-seat family vehicle, um, and let me point out, Scott, 
Sidetracks are some of the best parts of this show. <laughs> never, never feel bad about All right. the sidetrack. So I do sometimes because it derails what we're talking about, and I feel like we don't get back to it, and you know, right where we meant to leave off. But um, yeah, I think I think anytime you hear something like that, pipe up as well because I'd like to hear what you have to say. Oh, okay. Yeah, sidebars. Sure. Sidebars are good. Let's let's sidebar. All right, so, anyway. all right, so, so it's a passenger vehicle this time instead of a single seat. Yeah, and it's vehicle, low right? and it's wider. Ah, yeah. that now that makes sense with Harley Earl's mm-hmm. design yep. theory, right? Yep. Um, he liked them long, low, wide. That was his kind of uh, his mantra, right? Got and, a tail uh, fin. Yeah, this one, this one again, tail fin. Um, this one now the exhaust we mentioned. I think did we mention the exhaust in this podcast? Even uh, we we mentioned that had jet exhaust. We didn't mention the oh, temperature. Now the temperature of this thing. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, we're talking like sixteen hundred degrees is mm-hmm. the exhaust temperature or something like that. Yes. So and you you notice that there's that enormous nozzle at the back. It looks just like a regular jet would at the rear end for the, um, the that you can adjust exactly an adjustable. So sixteen hundred degrees. That's that'll you know burn the hair off your legs when you walk by. No kidding. So definitely. A danger factor there. Now, this one had something a little bit more um, civilian-esque. I don't know how to say that. Maybe the best way is... Yeah. It, the idea was uh, a lot more like um, a family car from the Jetsons. Yeah. That's yeah. one way and, to describe and it. And the exhaust, instead of exiting out the back like uh, like you would think, like you know the jet vehicle normally does, yeah. uh, this time the, the exhaust exits um, through the rear deck on top. Uh, there's a couple of exhaust pipes on the top. That, now, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's really hot up there, but it's at least not pointing down towards the ground where someone can just casually walk by and, and you know, be struck by this, which is right. bad news for anybody. And it did have a, uh, a really cool top on this one as well. Oh, yeah, that uh, the canopy, but it was a higher bubble canopy. Yeah, and it's a big one. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a great big bubble top that goes over all four passengers. Uh, so, you know, unlimited viewing in this thing. Yeah, um, a you're, panoramic view. Yeah, and, and not only that, you know, when you're driving it, you're on display as well, right? Uh, see, that's something <laughs> that, you know, I'd need to get mine tinted. You'd have to <laughs> tinted. Now, it also had some unique features. Oh, yeah, um, like the uh, magnetic key. Yeah, magnetic key was one. That's a that's a, a, a newer design at the time, or newer thought at the time. Um, had automatic load leveling suspension, which is really unusual for the time. No kidding. Um, also had uh, luggage compartments. Okay, or one luggage compartment, well, but it could hold eight pieces. That's uh, now most cars had that, but uh, for this one to have it, an experimental vehicle with you know the most of the area was taken up with a, a turbine engine. Oh, it was it was customized, it was specially styled luggage. So remember, we oh. did um, what was. What was that podcast we did? Was it the um, was it the Ferrari that came with? Uh, I think a lot of those vehicles do. Ben. It came with the custom luggage. Yeah, because that's the only thing that'll fit in there. I mean, yeah. you could try to fit a duffel bag in there or whatever, but uh, uh-huh. your hard your hard sided suitcases they have to be a certain size and 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 depth and all that. Yeah, and um, shape exactly. And I think Bentley does that same kind mm-hmm. of thing. You know, they're embroidered or whatever. Well, I'm just remembering an earlier podcast we had something. We, it was a it was a vehicle that you could only buy if you already owned one of their vehicles. Oh, that was uh, it wasn't Ferrari. It's an Aston Martin. Oh, it was an Aston Martin. It was the oh. uh, the small version. Yeah, that's um, the one. I'll think of the name of it. In just anyway, so okay, so there we are. I, Titanium I got body. Yep. Um, had elect- electric gear selector, uh-huh. which is kind of unusual. Had and snack tables. 
a snack table. Is I that what you were going to say? No, I did not. No. <laughs> snack tables. That's nice. Nice little feature. Um, also had individual zone AC. And this is all the way back in 1956. Which is amazing. It's, it's just amazing what a car company can do when they tell their engineers, okay, guys, do something amazing. You only have to do it once. Yeah, have at it. And, you know, a lot of people thought, you know, in, individual zone AC was something that, you know, happened in the in the 2000s year. Right. Um, or maybe a little before. I don't remember Late the first 90s, one. Was. maybe. But, um, yeah, I mean, this goes all the way back to mid-50s. So, again, the Firebird 2, mm. uh, I'd say out of the three... It's your favorite? No, my least favorite. Your least my favorite? My least favorite. I Why like, is that? I just I, I like the looks of one and uh, the one that we're going to talk about next, which is the Firebird 3. Ah, uh, yes, which was built in 1958 but didn't come to Motorama until 1959. Now, this this third model is kind of a, a splitting the difference between the one and two, isn't yeah, it? Because yeah. it's a two-seater. I want to ask you. You've okay. seen photos of this. Yes. Uh, what was your initial, I mean, almost immediate thought when you saw this vehicle? And if you get this wrong, it's okay. My, my, I, I can get my initial thought yes, wrong? Yes, you can. <laughs> because I think that 99% of the people when they see this vehicle will have the same initial thought. When they see the Firebird 3. When they see the Firebird 3. Can be honest with you, man? Sure. I, it wasn't my favorite. Oh, not, not what I was thinking. I was thinking uh, Batmobile. It, well, see, okay. Now that I say it, right? No, no, no. I know what you're saying, but and I and I see where you're going with it. I just don't like that it's got the double canopy, like yeah. double bubble thing, just like the Batmobile. Just like, just like the old school Batmobile, which is not my favorite. Oh, okay. But I know. I'm sorry. I'm you know sorry. What? Send your hate mail. Fair to, enough. To Ben Bolin Fair at enough. Discovery. That, but... You know what? That explains it, and uh, you, you're still correct. Then. Oh well, thank I'm you. I'm going to say you're not. You're not wrong, but. Well, you know, the, new, the newer Batmobile is Christopher <laughs> Nolan changed the game, man. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. All right. All right. We're, we'll, we'll argue about this. Yeah, often. we can argue about So, Batmobile. okay. So you are right, though. Definitely, it, it definitely has some echoes of the old school Batman. Yeah, the uh, Futura, right? Yeah. From, from Ford. Exactly. Um, now, that was around in the well, mid-50s. I don't know which one came first. I think the uh, Batmobile came first. So I don't know who's yeah, I think the, looking oh, at who's, who's influencing you. Yeah. The Futura did come first. Yeah, it was what fifty five, right? Right. So it was several years earlier, yeah. and they were they weren't really constructing the three, the Firebird three, that is, until fifty eight. Now I'm not going to say that they were influenced, but uh, that's a unique design. Yeah, and you know what? It also has a lot of uh, of. Uh, it goes back to more of the jet look, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Uh, yeah. This one has lots of fins. So. So many fins. Seven, seven wings, right? It looks a lot like, you know, the, the modern military jets that have, you know, wings kind of jutting off in odd directions, you know, right. all over the place that, you know, for stability and things wings like that. Wings that look almost counterintuitive. Now, now, one thing that, you know, we should mention about the wings is that this was the only Firebird car that actually had uh, some, some type of effect on any production vehicle at all. You know how mostly, a lot of times that, you know, some of these uh, technologies and, and pieces of design will make their way into production vehicles. Yeah. Well, uh, as far as Firebird, the Firebird series, nothing really made it into production other than, you know, some of these little elements you hear later on, um, like the, the dual zone AC and that type of thing. But as far as design, uh, the 1961 Cadillac used um, what they call the rear skegs, which are stubby fins that kind of come off the bottom of the rear fenders on this uh, Firebird 3. 
and it just it, you can see hints of it. It's not like it is directly from there because they're very dramatic on the Firebird Three. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these rear skegs are the only thing that made it into the '61 Cadillac design, uh, as far as exterior design, uh, as far as you know, getting into any production vehicle really. Um, so in that in that sense, this vehicle you know is is. It's influential. Uh, it, it's very. It's probably the most influential of all of three. Of the three. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Maybe not the most iconic because I think that's the the first one. Definitely the XP twenty one. But also, uh, let's point out that the Firebird three, those fins, which some people might find. Let's be honest. Some people might find them a little bit silly, but they were tested. I think they look cool, and they were tested in a wind tunnel, so it was not for nothing. Yeah, and there's. I mean. They all have some t- some form of application. I mean, it's very aerodynamic. It's mm-hmm. uh, very jet-like looking. Still, it's a two-seater this time again. Yeah. Uh, instead of actually, not again, but two-seater this time, I should say, because the yeah. first one was one, then four, now two. Like we said, explain the difference, it, and it's got two uh, two engines. Uh, two engines. Okay, I didn't uh, I didn't read that in my notes here. But, well, it's uh, got a it's got a gas turbine engine, right? And yeah. It's two twenty-five horsepower, um, and then it has a two-cylinder, ten power. Or ten horsepower gas engine. Get this to power the accessories. Oh, really? Yes. Huh. Okay. Yes, really. Wait. Does that okay? Does that make it a hybrid? Is it? I, I you don't know. know. I, I wonder because it's it, from what I could see, it was only really powering the accessories. So let me see. Could that be a series hybrid? Maybe mm. in that in that mm. uh, it doesn't. You know, that second engine doesn't really power the wheels, right? Doesn't directly. Oh, but you know what? It doesn't send power of the wheels through anything. So right. I don't know. So there's not an actual series. Oh my gosh! I don't know. This is a. It's a. It's a. Uh, a segment buster, as they love to say, and uh, <laughs> in, in in marketing these days, right? A is segment it? buster car. Oh, it's busting up. Yeah, the, you know what? Do you remember? Segment? Okay, little sidebar. Sidebar. Remember, you remember back when? Uh, you know, like SUV. Well, not SUVs. I guess small SUVs and minivans and all that were kind of trailing off you know at the end mm-hmm. and they started coming out with these vehicles that they called crossovers and oh, yeah, they yeah. had all these different um, terms that they'd use for different vehicles and they'd start calling cars like oh this one doesn't fit into any of those categories it's a segment buster right it's like somewhere between a station wagon and an SUV yeah but we don't know what to call it it's a segment buster uh-huh. and they they would love to say that that term because it uh, sounds so edgy it did yeah and and I think I mean I just said it now just being you know <laughs> tongue-in-cheek I was being silly but right. but uh, I guess if you go back to the 1950s this is already a, a segment buster yeah right? are you kidding it had uh, air drag brakes still oh uh, again yeah, air, yeah. Air drag brakes okay so you know this one also you can find some fantastic photos of this thing. You really can. That, uh, that were taken outside of the GM headquarters in Michigan. On uh, They've got a great big reflecting pond out front that's beautiful, real picturesque. And, you know, people dressed in typical 50s, you know, business business casual or whatever they were. <laughs> and uh, some really great, great nostalgic photos of these things. All three of them, as a matter of fact. Um, mainly the Firebird 3. I think they really went overboard on the photos on the Firebird 3. Well, yeah, it was picking up steam. Can yeah, you blame them? Definitely. Now, we and and before we even started this podcast, we spent some time just looking at photos of these. Yeah. Uh, and oh, one more thing about Harley Earl and his styling. Um, they mentioned specifically with the Firebird Three that this one really, this one really shattered all of his uh, his styling, typical styling, his traditional styling of oh, the day. And, and we'll tell you why after we talk about one other thing. 
All right, Scott. So here's the thing. I am trying to jazz up my wardrobe a little bit. Oh, not a bad idea. I mean, you dress pretty snazzy to begin with, right? Well, that's very kind of you, man. But uh, I have a lot of the same stuff. And I was thinking, how could I diversify my closet portfolio, if you will? And that's when I thought about jack threads. That's not a bad idea because they've got a lot of different brands there. they got the Vans, Analog, DC... Converse, uh, brands that you and I both wear occasionally, right? Here, yes. around here in the office, and uh, and I mean hundreds more. I went on the site just uh, just today, yeah, and I was checking out you know the clothing, the shoes, the accessories, everything. There's not much that you can't find there. I'll tell you that there's a it, it's an amazing um, array of products that they offer. And here's the thing, man. Uh, this is one of my favorite parts of it, predictably. Everything on the site is up to eighty percent off. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, you know, it's it's incredible when you can find you know good brand names at a decent price mm-hmm. when you find them at up to 80 percent off i mean that makes the deal even sweeter are you kidding right and so also it's not as though they just bought this stuff in bulk all the styles are curated so they, it kind of has a, a filter you're not going to find a bunch of ugly stuff on there yeah that's I right i mean candid. i mean if i if i wanted to go there and i wanted to buy like a pair of pink side winders and a bright orange pair of pants i could do that right <laughs> maybe i mean i'm paraphrasing but you know you know I'm under the impression that you should be able to do what you want, my friend. And uh, <laughs> so is Jack Threads. And there's one other thing we want to tell you guys about. You can skip the membership wait list that they have, which they do have, and uh, get instant access today at jackthreads.com slash carstuff. Yeah, this is like an exclusive shopping club, if you will. And uh, we're giving you an opportunity to jump right in and uh, be part of it. Yeah, and uh, funny story, I get made fun of for this sometimes at the office. Most of the clothes I own are black and gray, so uh, maybe you guys can send me some tips, too, once you check out the website. So give it a look-see and let us know what you think. All right, Scott, we're back in business. Harley Earl. Yeah, we were talking about Harley Earl just before the break there, and I I mentioned that you know this one was really contradictory to all of his styling characteristics or his uh, his, his aesthetic uh, rules. Yeah, exactly. His yeah. traditional rules that he followed. I mean, this one had no chrome. It had no parallel lines at all. I mean, this thing must have... And he's still around, so he must, must have driven him crazy you know, to be mm-hmm. involved in something like this. But maybe it was that he was moving on. He was progressing at that point because yeah. you know, we're at the end of the 50s mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he had designed some fantastic cars for GM. and uh, But they all followed all these real simple... Um, genuine rules that he that he truly believed in. He thought this was the way to you know design beautiful beautiful vehicles, and and he did. Uh, but this one, this Firebird Three, just breaks all those rules. And I would I would argue that it's still a beautiful car, right? Oh, I think so, absolutely. I mean, I to be honest with you, I I did say that the Firebird Three is the my least favorite okay. of of the three but that's not because it's bad at all it's just because i really really like number one. Oh, your favorite is number one my favorite is still number one man it's blame it on my childhood it's the first one i saw wow. years back so we both agree that number two is maybe not our favorite design number two is just okay here's the deal all right number two is built to kind of suggest a family car sure right mm-hmm. if i'm picturing myself what's essentially a jet-powered car yeah, it's a ground-bound jet right that is a nice phrase that's yeah. the segment buster isn't it i think it is <laughs> but uh the when i'm picturing myself like that i'm not picturing myself and three of my buddies i'm picturing me and maybe a co-pilot got it and we're and we're we're zooming down so number three you know, then is the car for you 
no, with no. two seats. Number one's the ideal. Number two is the uh, understood. I understand. I got. I got you. But just, did you know this? What's that? Did you know there was a number four that was on its way that never really, uh, never really took off? I did hear about this. Yeah. As we say in Tennessee, I heard tell of this, but I did not know why. Well, they planned to build it, and I don't know exactly what happened. I, I didn't get the story on it either. There's a there's a backstory to this apparently that um, mm-hmm. they had planned to build it, it but it, it actually even got all the way up to the wood frame stage. Wow, um, pretty you know, far before, along. Yeah, yeah, before they start making you know the clay mold around it and everything. Right and um, Firebird Four just never played out. I don't know why they uh, why they abandoned that one, but they did. So we've got three, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, as promised, we told you that you'd be able to uh, to go and see these things, right? Ah, uh, yes. And look at us, Scott. We should pat ourselves on the back. We managed to keep this cat in the bag. Yeah, we did. Until that's, I think that might be the first time we've managed to. That's do not this. bad. And you know, if you, but you know, the one way to tell where these things come from is if you go online and you're watching some videos, because a lot of times they will interview the the manager at the facility where these things are stored, right? Right. And uh, you want to tell them where they are, or you want me to? I think you should do it. All right. They are they are currently housed all three of these. Now this is amazing. GM held on to all three vehicles. They never sold them. They never changed hands. Um, they're all three at the GM Heritage Center, and that's in Sterling Heights, Michigan. The bad news is, Ben, it's not open to the public. Now, don't be discouraged. Right. Because there are certain days that, that GM employees can go. So that's one thing, right? Mm-hmm. There's also certain days that, that uh, or not certain days, rather, but you can plan to have an event there. That you know, you can have small groups, you know, from like a dozen up to five hundred people. Ben, you can have groups that size go to this place. It's so an get enormous... all your buddies. Exactly. If you want to, you could kind of rent out this building for the day and just kind of tour their collection. Now, it's an incredible, incredible collection. Now, when I say it's not open to the public, um, I, I don't know. Watch for that to change in the future. I wonder if they're gonna they're gonna allow somebody or some people to come through or just open it up for. You know, here and there, holidays, or maybe, maybe, or maybe call and ask very politely, <laughs> maybe if, if you can get in. But it's very popular with uh, you know, like the media loves to go there, so they right. do kind of they do a lot of um, a lot of video shoots there, a lot of films are shot there. Here yeah, it's up. just not at this point. It's just not a museum that's open to the public, but it might not always be that way. And it's huge. They now they display. Now, they've got all three cars there, we should say. All three Firebirds mm-hmm. are there, which is incredible to have all three. It's it's like 81,000 square feet, this this facility that they have. That's only enough room to display about 200 cars. Now, they own, um, I think they own something like, th- you know, three times that many or four Ooh. times that many oh, cars. Oh, wow. I didn't know They own something that. like 600-plus cars uh, that go all the way back, you know, in GM history. They own... Um, Vehicles that are very uh, influential, you know, like mm. like the Firebird vehicles. They own a lot of concept vehicles. They own uh, just key key vehicles. A lot and, of one and, of a kinds. Yeah, key vehicles in GM's history. So I don't know. I would say you know keep your eyes open on the GM Heritage Center and see mm-hmm. if uh, you know there's a, a chance to uh, you know to get by there someday. Yeah, set up a Google alert or something so yeah. that you'll get those or, emails. Or you know, I like your idea that you know don't don't be discouraged by this. Maybe find a group of ten other people or you know fifteen other people. Yeah. You know, I don't know what it would cost you to get in, but you know, consider it like a museum admission price. And it, yeah, it costs a little bit less each time your group uh, increases. And set up a phony meeting, have a PowerPoint <laughs> presentation. Like, you know, let's uh, 
let's let's make a day a day out of this, you know. And Scott, I really like that idea because I wonder how how many people have to be in a group before the divided cost come becomes exactly yeah. what a museum ticket would be. And what about the credentials that you'll have to prove that you know, like why why would you want to hold your meeting here? What's your what's your real goal behind this? You know, have it catered. <laughs> Why not? You know what? Bring, have well, whatever think, your favorite food is brought in. I right? think honesty is a great policy, so I think it would be. <laughs> I think it would be very good to say, just look, um, we love this museum. We want to see these vehicles. We figured that if we got twenty of us together, it would be about the same price for us all as as a museum ticket. Uh, what can we make work? I don't, I don't think they'll be angry about that. No, I don't think so. And I mean, I, I've watched a lot of uh, a lot of clips, you know, that are shot there. A lot of interviews. Now we mentioned that the manager, I think his name is uh, Wallace. Is it mm-hmm. Greg Wallace? I think his name is Greg Wallace. Um, I've got it in my notes somewhere. Maybe I can find him while we're talking here. But uh, he's a very very nice guy. He's very knowledgeable. I mean, the guy knows everything about every car in there, mm-hmm. um, as you would expect. Right. Um, but he's. Uh, He's he's more than happy to talk about you know the vehicles that are there and that's this a you know a great person it is Greg Wallace uh, he is the manager um, he uh, he's more than happy to talk with the media about you know everything that they've got there he's just a real friendly guy so you know at least he is on on camera so you know <laughs> take that at, at face value but he um, seems like a decent guy to deal with. I also want to mention as we go out here um, that there's a community forum for Firebird team members. Uh, you can drop a line at Firebird at ConklinSystems.com. And uh, this, is, this is a pretty good resource, too, to find some more photographs. These photos that we're mentioning are more than worth your time to Google um, or to check out. Now, what we got really lucky here looking into this vehicle because – it became chiefly a promotion vehicle after it was an engineering exercise. Yeah, so there's plenty out there's there. There's a lot to look at. You can even find the original pamphlets that GM distributed. And, Scott, I know you looked at these too, right? Yes, I did. Yes, great photographs that come from that. I mean, you shared those with me. And, and I was saying that you know to get stills from the video that I've seen or the uh, the, the old film layoffs that I've seen, mm-hmm. uh, they're not nearly as clear as the photographs that you showed me. So uh, if you really want to see this thing in crystal clear you know, great quality, then take a look at those original pamphlets. Yeah, and... And you mentioned, you said Conklin? Yeah. Now, that's uh, that's the initial driver, uh-huh, right? That's, that's the right. first engineer, mm-hmm. the uh, supervisor, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, that's interesting. Neat yeah, tie-in. and uh, there's a community around the people who, as it's phrased on the website, uh, helped make the Firebird a reality. Yeah, now, you know what? One thing that I think we need to, to say here at the end is that, you know, Firebird gave its name to... The Firebird vehicles that we see today, right? Oh gosh, I mean, yeah, I mean, we went the uh, whole episode without saying that. I know, I, I, mean, I can't save. believe it, but uh, but I, I would have felt remiss if we had left this out at the end because yeah. um, you know one one of its uh, they say that one of its greatest legacies really was that it passed on its name in 1967 mm-hmm. to the Firebird line of cars, and uh, other than that, you know, there's no connection between these Firebird vehicles that you see the uh, you know the the um, uh, the jet-looking vehicles, right, and the uh, and the pony cars that came out from General Motors, from Chevrolet and Pontiac, and yeah. you know, those guys in in uh, the late '60s. So in 1967, so um, you can see the timing works out right for them to use the name again. But uh, I wonder how many people initially thought when they built the Firebird in '67. <laughs> <laughs> that was you know, going to be gas if turbine. They, if they just heard about it, they're probably rubbing their hands oh, like, yeah. "Oh yeah, here comes my jet. Oh, I'm yeah. ready." You know? How can I convince? Yeah. Especially, especially if you're uh, in a family, you're like, "How can I convince my parents, husband, or wife to let me buy this jet on wheels?" Yeah, you know. And I was thinking, 
you know, when you see something like that, you kind of expect it to change a little bit between production, you know, concept and, and production. Absolutely. And in this case, you know, they weren't going to build it as a, as a car anyways, but – you know, you kind of, I, I can't imagine that kids in the 50s were thinking like, oh my gosh, the future is now. I'm going to have a jet on the road, you know, in, in the mid-1960s when I'm old enough to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hopefully it'll be around. And uh, and then, you know, here's 1967 and they say, announcing the new Firebird. How exciting would that be? Oh, man. You know? It reminds me, you know, it reminds me of growing up, always hearing these tales about flying cars around the corner. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In the year 2000, right? Yep, and here we are in the future, but not far enough yet. <laughs> Anyhow, Scott, it sounds like you and I are gearing up for our old debate about flying cars. I think so. Which is probably our cue to head out so people don't catch us arguing on air. Yeah, no fist flying, right? No fist, no audio fist flying today. Fisticuffs. So uh, we hope you guys enjoyed our episode on the Firebird. We, as you can tell, are big fans of this, and we hope that we have at least convinced you to check out this vehicle if you haven't seen it before. Uh, let us know what you think. You can befriend us on Facebook. You can drop us a line on Twitter, but, you know, keep it short. It's Twitter. No, I'm kidding. Um, you can also, if you would like to suggest some upcoming topics, send us an email at carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Netflix streams TV shows and movies directly to your home, saving you time, money, and hassle. As a Netflix member, you can instantly watch TV episodes and movies streaming directly to your PC, Mac, or right to your TV with your Xbox 360, PS3, or Nintendo Wii console, plus Apple devices, Kindle, and Nook. Get a free 30-day trial membership. Go to www.netflix.com slash carstuff and sign up now. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. 